Welcome to the Men Among Demons podcast. In a disoriented world, this is the podcast that asks what would happen if we truly put Christ at the center of our thinking. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Opperwall. And I'm your host, Dr. Greg Weeb. Hi, Greg. Hey, man. All right, Greg. So I've uh, got a question for you today. It's my turn to ask a question to kick us off. You were talking or chatting the other day um, about ethics and, and moral thinking. And uh, I said something to you that I wanted to, to sort of say again and gets kind of unpack together with this episode. Um, I'll, I'll start off with the question and then kind of come around to the exposition of the question. My question is, what, what is the objective of ethical and moral thinking for Christians? What is its purpose? And the, the exposition to the question is that it, it sort of occurred to me the other day that a lot of ethical and moral thinking in this world around us at this point, and maybe, maybe it's always been this way, I'm not, I'm not saying this is new, but certainly it is the case now, that a lot of it tends towards really ultimately just being about laws and rules. You know, what is going to be allowed? What is not going to be allowed? Um, and you, know, you can think of any, any moral issue that's out there. Um, the popular discourse, the rubber hits the road when we make laws, or in some cases, it's not laws, but it's rules, We're rules in a workplace, rules for an organization, you know, whatever. We're going to make rules. And Christians seem to get into this game all the time, including Orthodox Christians as well. And we all get very, very hot and bothered when we feel like we're on the losing side of some of these debates. Um, and we get extremely focused on policies and, and administrations and all sorts of things. Um, but it just strikes me that that's a little bit of a shallow way of thinking about morality and ethics. Not that I think laws don't matter. I think they, they matter a lot. Uh, or rules, I think they matter too. But it seems to me that that's kind of out, out on the surface of what morality and ethics are, are really about, maybe, or should be really about. Um, I, I just feel like there's got to be more to the story for when we think about, think ethically and morally. And so I'm wondering what you think. Again, back to my question then. What is what is should what should the objective actually be for us Christian thinkers when we we start to talk about things like morality and ethics? You know what people should and shouldn't do. How, yeah. Okay. So where to begin with that question? Like what what they should be for morality and ethics laws. I mean that's kind of that's kind of your basis. That's sort of the uh, I, the way I think of it is is as kind of the the, the basis or a basic site of manifestation. But like really like the, I mean maybe the, it's better just to start with the. Mm, the other the other part of that question which is this this you know noticing people's preoccupation with um uh establishing rules right like establishing rules or laws and and delimiting action as as like the issue it seems to me the way to think about the issue is exactly that people are turning it into an end excuse me turning it into an end um and 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 thinking about and thinking about the the rule um, or the law, the ethic, the doing good, both in terms um, like the goal is to create a more just society, and the just society is is conceived of 
legally, right? I think that's what that's what you're getting at, uh, and it and it and it see and it seems to me to be an inversion of uh, of the true order of of right, like like the, the taking the taking the law or the or the regulation um, as the endpoint instead of um, instead of the starting point, right? I mean, you have to think that in you know, scripturally speaking, the law is uh, is spiritual milk for Paul, right? Like the the law was the schoolmaster uh, for when we are uh, when we were too young, and in a certain sense, right? He says that we're still kind of young and we still need to be weaned off weaned off the spiritual milk. But that the the you know, and of course, Paul's talking about like whatever salvation history is talking about. Uh, not just not just any law, um, but but the Torah, God's actual law, the real God's, law, right? Um, but it, for that very reason, we can exactly think of it as as the pattern which all laws participate in, right? So when you so when you so when you try to manifest the will of God in a worldly temporal political space, what it looks like is ancient Israel. And one of the, one of the, the core ways of understanding what Christ was all about was exactly an unveiling what the true point of all that was, which is that your true end is not just to serve the law and to abide by the law, but to, to, use the setting that the law provides in order to to seek communion with God himself which now Christ makes possible you know quintessentially or whatever how does how does that sound as a start i mean it, right off the bat for me it raises the question of what do you do with the fact that we don't live in ancient israel you know I, so I, I think you're quite right so you, you you've observed you observe there that the law the real law uh God's law is fun, a, a prototype of law, fundamentally of all all law, and the degree to which law participates or, um, yeah, um, partakes of truth. It's you know closer or further from from God's law, uh, and in that respect, is like a lot of things in life. So that that's all fine, but but Israel. Is also and, and Israel will depart from God's law constantly. I mean, just read the Old Testament; it's kind of the whole story arc is is the people of God, you know, not following God's law and and you know getting called back over and over and over again in every single generation. And so that that all seems clear. There is a difference in a world in a place like Canada or North America or, or the Western world because our laws are are ultimately. Well, they're secular laws. You know, Israel has has the real law, and it is it's it's God's law, and so the task is to come back to it. And then, if you know, if you're listening to Saint Paul, if you're a Christian, it's it's to come back to it, and then you know, go keep going right on through. You know, and then it, it all kind of bursts forward and blooms out, and, the, and this is who Christ is. Christ is the fullness of that. So you first come back to it, and then and then it and then it blossoms forth. In a place like Canada, as Christians, you know, the the law is. It's, it's not God's law. It is, it is secular law. Um, so how we interact with it 
it's it just strikes me that it can't be it's, there's no way that it's redeemable in the same way that that the law of moses is redeemable no no that's right but i and i think like like what's really interesting about the about the question is is to notice like i've been noticing lately just how um just how beholden my fellow Christians, I mean, I work with mostly, I, I work with mostly Christians, but all non-Orthodox Christians. Um, though that's not to say you wouldn't find that, like you, like you point out, you wouldn't find the same thing among, among Orthodox Christians. But the, but the, the, the overriding preoccupation is exactly with, with ethical thinking, ethical things in exactly this sense of like, of, uh, you know, a concern, uh, a concern about temporal behavior. Now, obviously, we're going to we're not going to say that temporal behavior, corporeal, you know, behavior, action in time and space is unimportant. Of course, it's incredibly important. But then the the, the question is one of is one of attitude, and this and it really is, you know, something that transcends uh, an, an issue that transcends left right political distinctions. Um, that I that I think orthodoxy has the has the best resources for combating, but it's still there's still all sorts of ways you can go wrong within within orthodoxy. I mean, like the thing is that you know, so in a, in in Canada, so for Christians, like you, what you will find is that um, you know there's this notion that. Let's say these days, you know, Christ was uh, open to all people, and uh, you know, open to the lowest of of society, and so therefore we should pattern our action after after Christ's concern for the poor and the and the outliers and the uh, those those outside the city walls, so to speak, and and be, be mean to Samaritans, but then grudgingly maybe kind of let them. Is that what you're saying? This is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just observing, you know, how, how already it's it's so far from straightforward that Christ's witness is is you know clearly yeah. so so open armed. I mean, look at his engagement with the Samaritans is extremely tense and fraught. But I, I don't want to I don't want to um side sidetrack you. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's part of the problem. Like, so you, you know, to to indulge in your to indulge in your sidetracking just a little bit. I mean, it's an in, it's an incomplete picture, right? Because what when you actually attend to what Christ is doing, it's it's exact. It's exactly not straightforward, but there is an imagination that it is somewhat straightforward, and that you know it's all all about compassion for the poor, or something like that. And um, but you but you notice that, but like that's the that's as far as the goal goes. I mean, it was honestly a huge, like I it's it's I, I've spent a lot of time having to think through how ethics is not how ethics is not the goal 
and the and the true place and like so the for for me the question kind of came up like i went to society of christian ethics once upon a time it's kind of a cool conference you know it's an academic society and this is a conference that you're attending just for those who might not be familiar yeah sorry yeah yeah so you know uh that's exactly so you get together for a few days here's some here's some papers hang out with some with some friends and and uh and you know it's kind of a cool time um but like you know there's something when I got into patristics, I, I, I like the idea of the Society of Christian Ethics. But when I started to try to think about, okay, what would a what would a patristics paper? So if you you know, so the, you know, in our in our field, thinking about um, the church fathers and and their theological uh, teachings and and uh, philosophy and that kind of thing, you know, that's what's what we that's what we work on. And I think you know, if I were going to do a paper on, let's say, uh, you know. Augustine and ethics. So my, I, you know, my work is on Augustine, um, or has been anyways. Um, you know, what, what would I write on? And it's like, it was interesting to notice that among the, among the church fathers, um, I think in a place like society of Christian ethics, you'll get the occasional paper that draws on, on the church fathers, but it was just striking to me that it couldn't help, but seem that there just wasn't much to say that when you're thinking about ethics um, in, in through the lens of the church fathers, trying to trying to think about ethics while reading Augustine, like, you know, you give you, your uh, um, generous, uh, you know, not miserly with your money, you give alms to the poor, um, you know, some of the, some of these very, uh, very common, very basic ethical um commandments they're like they're all there but they but they're just like they're they're typically just named right just named these are the things that we do we pray we give alms we do you know we we do these things and there's nothing particular like what is there to write about what is there to write about it's just straight like that's not it's and it's not where the it's not where the meat is uh in the thinking and why is that Right, so love of neighbor is is totally central. Right, he he writes um, his uh, on 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 Christian doctrine. Um, you know the the way to interpret the scriptures is uh, is in terms of love of God and love of neighbor, and anything that contravenes that, uh, you know, doesn't. Um, you know, you're not basically not supposed to. Uh, you're not supposed to emulate. So now, love of neighbor is absolutely central for Augustine. Um, but in a sense, like there's nothing to say if what you want to talk about is quote unquote ethics. And particularly you find that what he, what he means first and foremost, when he's talking about love of neighbor, he is talking about a kind of evangelical witness. You want what you want for your neighbor more than, more than that they've got a house and a good job and they've got enough income and can pay their bills and like more than all of that. You want your neighbor to love the one true God above all things, right? The love of neighbor is a question of worship before everything. Um, and that is just not how, that's not what I hear um, in my, in my Christian neighbors in my, in my call, in, in my colleagues. It's very, it's very rare to hear that. Well, it's, it strikes me as consistent with something you said earlier um, that that bears some further consideration about ethics or the law 
or rules or whatever, however you want to frame it, being really just the just the beginning. For for Saint Augustine, this stuff is it, giving a paper about that about Saint Augustine's ethics at that level is basically mind-numbingly boring because it's 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 really so obvious, <laughs> you know, um, and he he doesn't say anything innovative at all uh, about. And and neither not even even the New Testament itself doesn't you know you read 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 Paul yeah people people I I run into this sometimes people will say oh you know Jesus was he wasn't divine or whatever and he was just this you know this great ethical teacher and it's not my own rejoinder although I forget where I ran into it but but I ran into it somewhere early in my life as a Christian that well th- that's just it isn't true he's a dust he's a terribly boring ethical teacher it, it, it's. It's the golden rule has been around in most cultures for forever. And there's, there's nothing especially interesting about what Jesus is doing ethically. But I think that that's actually very important, very significant because these thinkers, Paul, Jesus, St. Augustine, they're taking the Jewish moral tradition, the Jewish legal tradition. And they're saying, yeah, that's, that's all great. It's already been said. There's, there's nothing to add to the discussion there. Um, but, and, and this is Paul's point that you brought up, but that's, that's mere milk that that's feeding on milk, like an infant. And w- when one gets ready for solid food, then we go to this deeper, this deeper level. And so what, what's going on at that deeper level? Like what, what's happening? Right. Well, and so, and, and to dwell with it in terms of the question of ethics for, for a little longer, it's like, you, I mean, you know you can't get rid of laws. I mean, the 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 easiest the easiest way to understand it for me is just to to think about my own family life as a parent, right? And uh, like how you treat, and, and and it and it goes to and it goes to illustrate Paul's point, which is that you need laws for those who are young and not yet reaching their maturity. For my kids, you sort of need to make things clear and black and white. And yes, you can do this. And no, you can't do that. And, and, and then you, you know, uh, you know, like in critical points anyways, right. And that at the same time, you're also opening up space for them to explore the reality that things are a little more complicated. And it's because in fact, what you find is that as you do reach into your maturity, that questions are not so cut and dry and there's lots of different things going on that need to be, need to be balanced and you, and, and you need to have a more sophisticated understanding of things in order to answer difficult questions. Like, okay, you, it's good to give money to the homeless. Well, you know, that what the dude is probably, whatever he says he's going to do, it's all about food or whatever. What he's probably going to do is in fact, go buy alcohol or buy or, or something or something you know, or some, or, or something worse or, or whatever. Um, and then, so now it's just that, okay. So now all of a sudden that complicates it. Well, now what are you going to do right now? You have to think about what are the, what are the more basic principles? And it, it, it just, I, I always, especially if they're outside the LCBO, that's when I most give to panhandlers because I'm about to go buy alcohol. Well, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And, and this was CS, this is CS Lewis's rejoinder when asked about it. Oh, don't you think he's just th- that panhandler is just going to spend it on drink? And he said, well, that's what I was going to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which I love, right? Like I would be, it's actually, I'm at my most hypocritical if I say no to the guy outside the liquor store. Right. Uh, because I'm literally walking into the liquor store to purchase alcohol and I'm deciding, well, that I'm not addicted to it, which I'm not. And uh, he might be, although maybe he isn't either. Maybe he just wants to drink the same reason I do. Uh, and, and we're, you know, we're at a, 
it's I find it. Yeah, I, I always give it to them outside of the liquor store. Always, because I'm like, well, geez, now I'm, now I'm, I know what they're going to do with it, and I'm about to do the same thing. So, this is, but th- this does not take away from your point. It's a thing that muddles things up. You know, um, that one has to think about as as you start to realize that the world is sort of complicated. And what you have to do is you have to then start thinking beyond like it's good to give to poor people. And you have to have to start thinking, like, why is it good to give to poor people? I think this just goes, goes straight to my question, but it's right. I don't want to stop. You. No, no. Well, no, that's right. It, yeah, I, think, I think it does exactly. Like, I remember the moment it was in a subway of, you know, there's some dude, some dude asking for money in a subway uh, sandwiches. So he, well, he like probably was going to go, you know, buy a sandwich or whatever, but it doesn't matter. Like, it just occurred to me that like God gives us the fundamental great gift of life itself without, um, without prejudice as to how we're going to use it. And God foreknows how all of us are going to use our lives. And some of us will use it to the good and some of us will use it to the ill. And he doesn't deprive existence even of those who use it for ill, even those of those for, of whom he foreknows they will use it to ill. Right. And, and so who am I, who am I to judge how you use the money I give you? In which case, like it's in which case giving alms is about something other than lifting people out of poverty, Uh, something other than making society a little bit better, something other than, you know, meeting this person's needs. Something else is going on. Although, although those, so meeting the person's needs, I think, well, it, it is, it becomes a really, really good example for exactly this reason, because I, I think meeting the person's needs matters. It's not that that's irrelevant, but it, I think you, you, you have to be correct. It has to be correct. What you're saying. It's, it, this occurred to me, uh, uh, I don't know what you get a couple of years back for some, for whatever reason, it's one of those moments where you're like, Oh, Whoa, you just suddenly get things a little bit more deeply. I was giving some money to somebody on the street and it just occurred to me that, you know, maybe the really big thing that's happening here is it's about me. It's asking oneself, you know, well, it's kind of like the question we ask as the basis of this podcast, but what if I went out and looked at every, everybody I saw, including all those people on the street and I, and I saw Christ, what would life be like? And here I have somebody facing me who is a stranger who appears maybe mentally ill who is filthy uh, and who this society and all, and every society forever has, has marginalized and tended to tended to marginalize and then say, and you deserve it, which to make things even more complicated is probably not even entirely untrue. <laughs> um, I've been, I've been astonishingly mistreated 
by people to whom I've been given giving money on the street. They can be shockingly rude. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. It's wild, you know. Some of the things that have been said to me, <laughs> and and I've had the opposite experience too. You know, some some of the you know most sure. profound moments of just human contact that I've ever had. It's so beautiful from people on the street. Yeah, like there are people too. Is all I'm saying there. But so so the point the point of this realization that I was kind of getting to. Realizing that this is an opportunity for me to transform a bit. And maybe the question is not, okay, you know, do I give this person cash? Do I buy them a sandwich? Um, do I just talk with them for a little while? Maybe they need the conversation more than anything. Do I ask them what they actually need? One, one thing I learned a lot chatting with a lot of street people back when I lived in Detroit and, and I would talk to them for a while too and, you know, uh, give them whatever. I had a couple bucks if I did and, and then we would chat. One thing I th learned and thought was really interesting is that, of course, of course they need things besides food as well. Like a lot of people will say, well, I'll just buy him a sandwich. But that might not be what he needs right now. And I'm not just talking about addiction. I mean, I'm talking about socks. Um, you know, I remember talking to a guy once. He said, well, it rained really hard last night, so I need new socks. And it's just like, wow, it occurs to me that, you know, his feet got soaked. And it's not easy for him to launder clothing. And so he needs some money to get a whole new pair of socks because they're ruined if he can. Uh, another thing they were often after was a, was a hotel room if they could do well enough on a day they could get a, a motel room or a hotel room. Right. Instead um, of the shelter a room at the shelter. Instead of a shelter or yeah. just straight up on the street. So you realize, well, it's more complicated again, because it's more and more and more complicated the more you think of it. So, so sometimes giving cash is really what they need, even if, even if they're not into drugs or, or booze, it's a sandwich. They may have had plenty to eat today and they may need, they may need something else. Um, so you can, you know, start to establish a relationship and maybe suss that out and, and, and this and that. But the point of it all is to, to say, I'm being given an opportunity to to just see Christ in somebody for whom with whom it may not be as easy as it is with some others. And maybe it's the self-transformation in me that's really the point. This panhandler is going to be poor tomorrow as as Christ himself says, there will be poor with you always. He's going to be poor tomorrow. Um I could give him $10,000. And uh, it's extremely unlikely that he's now going to go get his life on track. That all that was standing in the way between him and, you know, housing and a job and living a middle class life like me was just the, that initial capital infusion. Unlikely. Uh, maybe possible, but unlikely. So this is a moment. Uh, this is a human moment. Like I've been invited. I've, I've, I've encountered a person and I'm invited to treat this moment. I can treat it in all kinds of different ways. Uh, I can be hostile. I can think I'm better than everybody else or better than this person. I can think I'm better than everybody else. Um, they can be hostile. They can see me as a threat. They can see me as an ally. Uh, but we're invited to sort of, well, what would happen? What would happen if I look and, and think this is Jesus Christ standing right in front of me? And maybe it's the transformation that's actually much more important than, than the material outcomes for this person. I mean, and it's kind of like, it's kind of what he says himself. Right. Yeah, it seems like it. I it's, think. you know, and, and you recall that, like, so in the, in the context of these apocalyptic statements he makes in which he says, you know, the, whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. The whole point is exactly what you are doing to Christ, right? Your treatment of Christ is exactly the, um, is the is the meaning and significance of that it's just that it's mediated like in in this way not in all ways which is another which is another issue but in not but that in this way 
um, how you treat those other than you, those less than you, um, is you know manifests and mediates how you treat Christ. But the th- you know, and part part of the issue though is, and I, that I do think that, um, you know, it's like it's something that's half heard by the people that are that are preoccupied with the ethical, right? Because they're correct to point to a passage like this, and it's like it matters how we treat others. Yes, absolutely, a hundred percent. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, just to exactly to your point, like I, I remember saying this in front of a class, it's like, there's not, there's nothing you can do, virtually nothing you can do, um, to like, to better any of these people that, that you're sort of thinking about, you know, the homeless or, or those on the street begging and whatever, like, what can you do to actually make their life better? I mean, it's just because lives are so complicated there's there's all there's so many reasons that they've ended up on the street and you are not going to go fix all those reasons some of them have to do with their own personal choices they really do i mean let's face it they do some of them don't some of them are structural some of them are you know there's not enough availability of mental health care or whatever they need and like you're not going to (laughs) go again like i said no matter how much money you give this person you're not going to suddenly fix every structural and every individual personal you know, problem that's landed them where they are. No, that's right. I just heard of all, like my colleague and friend had a, had a very, uh, very f- interesting story about, about someone that has his, so his wife works at a, at a, at a clinic and, and there's a, there's a homeless guy who had camped out there and the, and the, the, the workers at the clinic actually took a liking to this fellow and blah, blah, blah. And they really want to help him or whatever. And want to help him try to find a place to more permanent place to live. Cause you can't, you can't just stay in one place for very long. You, you, you have to wind up moving on. And he's like, well, I, he doesn't want a place. Like he likes his freedom the way, the way things are, right? Like it's, it's just too complicated. But my point to the students was like, you know, you, there's nothing you're going to be able to do to like lift this person out of poverty. If that's even a desirable thing for the person themselves, right? It's about exactly as you're saying something else. It's about what's happening in you. That's very hard to get traction on that because, because people are very used to think, uh, to thinking about alms and doing good to the poor as a question of eradicating poverty, which of course is not a realistic goal. I was going to jump in there because this thought had occurred to me a minute ago and I just wrote it down on my note, uh, but but it, it pertains here. That, that approach, the approach that you just described, like this is about me lifting this person out of poverty, this is about me, whatever, making their material situation better, blah, blah, blah. This, it's a fundamentally paternalistic approach. You're saying I am basically a good person. I have a job, I have a house, I have a wife, I have three kids. Uh, I'm a kind of good person, in effect. And because I'm a good person, I'm going to help this other person to live a life more like mine, you know, this good, this better life that I'm living. I have power and they are powerless and I'm the one, I'm the savior, I'm going to swoop in, I'm going to fix it for them. And that's the point. And I think it, I see this all over Christian ethics, all over the place. And you're both on the left and on the right all everywhere this notion that you know we we are um taking care of other people in a way that makes us you know the father the savior and them basically a person with in effect we act like they are a person with no autonomy no choice and no actual agency all the agency is just me it's me exercising i'm i want to be a good christian for me and this person is a kind of object a field of play within which I 
go exercise my agency. I see this um, often in, you know, abortion debates or whatever. Um, well, what about the, you know, what about the young girl who whatever gets pregnant because of this and that? And, you know, what do we do with her? And, and it just, I, it strikes me, well, you're asking, what do we do with her? What do, what do us grownups, doctors, you know, men or, or women, but whatever, like, what do we do with her? As though she's just this thing who's, who has this, this pregnancy and we are going to exercise compassion by letting her get an abortion or something. Maybe the very first thing we should do with her is talk with her. Maybe there's not a, maybe there's not a specific answer to like, what should the rules be or whatever. But, but back to this poor person who illustrates it really well. Like if we, if we deconstruct that paternalistic instinct and we say, what we actually have here is two very complicated people within whom is Christ fundamentally. If I can see it better in this person uh, and maybe it, maybe it lets me see it better in myself as well. Maybe it lets me grow closer to that. Maybe they do as well. What's I think tricky is that very, very, very often the behavior ends up on the surface when we come back to the law, when we come back to the rules, come back to the mother's milk, the behavior ends up looking really similar. Like I give the guy five bucks. So but if I go into the situation paternalistically thinking my five bucks is really going to help and now I'm a good person and I've scored points for the kingdom, I, I guess I'd give him five bucks. If I go in and think this is Jesus Christ and he's asking me for five bucks, I probably am going to give him five bucks. Maybe not, maybe not, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe if he says I want five bucks to purchase heroin and he says it to me explicitly, I might, I don't know exactly what I'll do. I'll pause. Uh, the alcohol one I find easier because I too consume alcohol and I feel like a true hypocrite. I don't consume heroin. So, uh, but right. So, I mean, there could be, but anyway, my point is in both of these situations, I probably give him five bucks, which I think is one of the things that makes this discourse difficult, uh, because people who aren't accustomed to thinking about ethics self-transformationally and only have ever in their whole lives, like the students you're describing have only ever encountered the kind of paternalistic vision of what ethics is about and morality is about. Um, and, and you, you, if you say to them, well, you should give, you should give him five bucks. How do we say that as Christians? I guess is, the, is what I'm trying to come around to here. How do we go out and say, when the guy asks for five bucks, he is Christ to you in this moment. So you should give him that five bucks. All, almost certainly very, very probably you should give him that five bucks, but it's not about <laughs> fixing it. Right. Like I, it's hard to even express, I think what we're after and people will, they're like like your students, I think they find it confusing. I mean, I'll be able to say it as, as a side note. Anyone who says, can you give me five bucks because I need to go buy some heroin is just asking to be asked. <laughs> that sounds like a, that sounds like someone who's fishing it's never for happened a conversation. I've given a lot of panhandlers <laughs> a lot of money over the years. No one has ever told me they're going to buy hard drugs for this. Yeah, right. Alcohol, I've heard. Yeah, but not hard drugs.
I wonder because I do think that some there is sophisticated ethical thinking among in uh, among academics. Like there are all sorts of people who will who will know who will have thought through all of these exact issues that were that we're raising. And I I mean so what so then what kinds of like I wonder what kind of response is like I my instinct is that my instinct is that okay so if it's not about you know, if there's a kind of paternalism and then of course in certain, certain ways there's going to be a white saviorism or whatever yep, in, yep. in the, if it's in a racialized the, situation. If, yeah. If a raci- yeah, absolutely. I suspect that like the, the recourse then is to say about how the, uh, so in some of the things that you're saying, um, in terms of, um, you know, opening up conversation, right. Making it dialogical. How can, you know, maybe it's about the person, um, the person helping you. And I think there's, a, there's some, there's certainly some possibility there, but I think formally speaking, it's, it's the point is that it's about yet something higher. Yeah. Even more, even higher than that. Yeah. It's not the, Oh, I, you know, I went on my mission trip and I learned more from them than they ever learned from me, which can be true as well. That can be true, but like it needs to be yet even more. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's just, well, now we've turned the tables on the paternalism in a certain kind of way, which is maybe a little bit helpful. But this, yeah, there's another layer, man. Yeah, right. It's not just a, re- it's not just a reversal. Although you do want, oh, you do want to be open, right? Like you want to, and that's a question of like patience and um, attentiveness, right? Like though, like thinking of, thinking of ethics in, in those terms, um, you know, is already, is already helpful. and. Uh, uh, you know, having the patience and the openness to, you know, just the awareness to see what, you know, what's going on around you and what people are, you know, asking for and what they have, what, you know, what they can tell you that you don't know. Um, all of that's very, all of that's very interesting, but I think like, you know, it's the, there's something about the posture itself. Like the reason that you're almsgiving is because it's a kind of, a, a pattern of activity that it's a kind of training, right? What are you doing? You're training yourself. How I've come to think of it as, as train, like training yourself to love money less, to love people more than money. Right. And, and so it's a, it's more of a question of training loves. Like it's a little practice, a little habit, a little ritual you can get into that starts to it, that creates some building blocks in your own life that you can then begin to use to stand on to to use to cons- to help uh, form and reform you know be reformed as a person whose loves are better ordered than they than they were before. Well, it, it certainly can be that too. I, I think there's layers even deeper than that, though, and there may be layers deeper than any of us, and certainly you and me, will ever see. In this life, and what's interesting as you as you speak is that it just occurs to me that we're kind of unfolding a, a very simple encounter. You've met somebody who asks for some money on the street panhandler, and all of a sudden there's like layer upon layer upon layer. There's on the one hand there is the giving of the money to help out just just for now. You're not going to lift this person out of poverty, you know, systematically. Very, you know, unless you really invest. You know, a huge amount into this one specific particular person, then you might maybe if that's what they even want, because like you said, it's you can't I can't even assume that. Um, but you you know you might they might get their hotel room tonight. They might be able to buy those new socks. They might be if they do need a, a sandwich, they might be able to get their sandwich. 
I think that matters. And then there's them them helping you. Um, I've gotten advice from panhandlers that's been pretty good <laughs> in a straight up. So there's that layer. Now we flip the paternalism. And then there's a layer of the train aesthetic, uh, um, aesthetical, not aesthetical, aesthetical training on my part, you know, learning to say this $5 has got to be, got to be worth less than this human in front of me. But I, I, I think now maybe is there not yet another layer in which the ethical behavior itself isn't even like, it's not even a question anymore. What, what do I do? Isn't part of this just about realizing you have an opportunity to just ha to have communion with your Lord and savior and the outflow of that, if I give the $5, if I don't give the $5 is potentially very unpredictable and isn't does kind of doesn't even matter. I mean, if, if I, if I enter into the space of communion with Christ by encountering this person, then, then a lot that's, now that's quite something, isn't it? Now, if they were to do that too, wow, we've, this is, this is all turned into a really quite, quite profound couple of minutes. The $5 starts to seem really not all that important. In fact, to either of us, it's, it's doubtless more valuable to this panhandler than it is to me, but, but compared to being able to, taste the kingdom, enter into an experience of the kingdom for a few minutes together. I mean, that's the way, way more than a sandwich, you know, and is there, maybe there's layers even deeper that I cannot even fathom, but it's quite something in this little moment can, can be so multivalent. And I think, yeah, I think that the, to sort of bring it, to bring it around to the beginning, like one of, one of the important the important element here is that when you make the the sort of ethical action narrowly conceived, you know, as a desire to lift out of poverty or whatever, if you make that the goal, it makes it very difficult, if not impossible, um, to 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 participate in these other in in these other levels, and that on that conversely you know it's 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 really only possible when you are trained being trained through worship to see the world in this way right and so and so like that's that element of like having the ethical life in its proper place like it has to be oriented within a, a liturgical worship life in which you're practicing playing participating in God's kingdom that when that you're training to see the world in terms of uh, it's, you know, it's manifestation of Christ, it's Christian manifestation of God himself. Um, and that it's, it's within that, right. It's in that high and establishing that as a higher goal that helps make sense of what's going on ethically in a, in a small encounter that has to do with a couple of people passing by on the street. You have to be ready for it. It reminds me of a, a conversation I once had with a, with a friend who was, who was kind of at the time leaving the church and just kind of come back. And, you know, these are the vicissitudes of life, but he, he said something about communion. Well, you know, I mean, why are we so obsessed with, you know, this ritualized communion, this, you know, the bread and the wine, the chalice, blah, 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 because, you know, we, we go, Christ is in the casserole afterwards, right? Like we go, 
Christ, the casserole is communion. Christ is in the casserole. And I said to him, well, yeah, absolutely. I agree. I 100% agree as an Orthodox Christian. You know, the, the fellowship meal is an extension of communion. But, but I said, but look, if we, don't, if we don't do all this ritual stuff with the chalice too, we're going to forget that pretty quick. The casserole is just going to be back to being a casserole. It's a, it's a true insight and it's a profound insight. But when you throw out the, now you're throwing away the thing that got you to be able to see that. Like it, can you, you have to see in a, in a discourse like that and that exact comment, someone who's had years of exposure to the Orthodox church is saying, don't you see that it's not just in that fancy chalice. It's also in the casserole. And like, he's right. Good. Absolutely. And I'm like, well, don't you see that we both see that because of the chal- fancy chalice? Like that's how we got here. So we can't, abandon it and and it's it's easy to forget too like you you can't just do it once you can't have like gone through the ritual of communion once and like boom now i see forever after i will always see all my food sacramentally which i should uh no i gotta remind myself like at least every week at least every week because otherwise it quickly just becomes just a casserole just a steak dinner just a piece of bread you know to enjoy and it's similar when we're interacting with people in this in this panhandler scenario we have to remind ourselves or, or very, very rapidly, it turns back just back into what it always used to be, which is, you know, some, some guy who doesn't smell very good is coming up to me and I feel a little bit threatened and I don't really want to interact with this person and I'm going to walk across the street and avoid them. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's right. And it's, and it's, you know, every little encounter like that has, it has a chance to participate in, um, you know, God's giving of life to the cosmos as such. An existence, and but it, it requires exactly, it, it, and, and you know, it's because it's not enough for 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 worship to be instrumentalized in in order to make ethical action meaningful, right? It still it, it still only works when when playing when the when the liturgical movement, the liturgical action of 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 you know playing, participating in God's true kingdom is done as the highest good right that you know that's part of it that's that's part of how it does right like so the communion can't isn't just there to instrumentally serve our ability to see every meal as as a as an instance of the meal in the kingdom it has to be like every meal works as an instance of the kingdom banquet only insofar as the communion meal in the chalice is the most important meal, right? It's not just another meal that that supports and uh, undergirds this way of thinking. Like it leads the way of thinking. It is it, it you know, and that's how it does what it does. That's how it gives meaning to all these other things. That by connecting with it, even though they're lesser and other, let's say, uh, then it it infuses all, all things with that meaning. Well, this uh, is about 45 minutes, so I think we should draw the public side of this episode to a close. I want to thank all the listeners very much for listening, and we will continue this conversation in the second half, patreon.com slash menamongdemons. We hope you'll join us there. And here's a taste of what you'll hear in the second half of this episode. I mean, and realistically, like there's no uncomplicated, unambiguous war to sign up for. I mean, you can, we can look back, you know, World War II, we can, in retrospect, you know, there does seem to be a kind of aura of, of, 
um, sanctity around it. Oh yeah, I don't want to give it an aura. I know, I know where you're going with this. And I'm not do you know what I mean? But like, you don't yeah, yeah. see <laughs> like when you're when you're in the middle of it, you don't have the it benefit of that narrative. Obvious, you yeah, don't yeah, you don't know that there's this that there's a holocaust going on, and that's not. That's do you know right. what I mean? Like, it's not. only at the very end did they find that out. Yeah. All right. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see some of you over at Patreon.com. And for the rest, God bless. This has been the Men Among Demons podcast. Your support makes this podcast possible. Find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash menamongdemons for exclusive content and to join the conversation. Thank you for listening. Take it easy, Greg. See you, man. See you.